welcome to How Fitting, the podcast about creating fashion and growing a business that fits your customer, your lifestyle, and your values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today I'm joined by Jenna Loyal, the founder of Pro Hoc Vice. So welcome to the show, Jenna. Thank you so much for having me, Allison. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to kind of dive into more of your story. Um, but first, for those listening who are meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I'm Jenna, as Allison introduced me, and I live in New York City. I still work in my day job. Um, I'm an attorney and I work in the financial services industry. However, about three years ago, I started working on my petite clothing brand, Prohoc Viche. My brand aims to make clothing for petite women that petite women five feet four and under will actually be excited to wear after doing a lot of research and identifying what I think to be a big uh, white space in the clothing and fashion market in the United States as, as well as elsewhere. However, currently I'm focused on the United States market. Nice. Yeah, I'm also in that market. I'm 5'2", so I can totally relate. So yeah, so interesting. And I didn't realize like that about your background, that you're um, in kind of finance and law side of things. Um, so what made you um, decide to start a fashion brand then? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so sort of in a roundabout way, I've or- always had just an idea that I wanted to start um, my own company and, um, you know, have something that I could build from square one. And I started exploring a bunch of different ideas. Actually, I had initially started with potentially a direct-to-consumer housewares line because I like to cook and entertain. Um, Mm -hmm. And I like just like consumer products and tangible physical items that you could touch and feel. However, I saw that that market was pretty saturated with a number of brands. And then I started thinking about just problems I have when when shopping and just in life. What could I what could I work on to make my life better and, you know, other people's lives potentially better and easier? And I realized that I have such a hard time finding clothes that I actually like and that actually fit me well without a lot of tailoring. Um, five one, so I fall within my target market. So I started exploring an idea for a petite clothing brand. Um, I love a lot of independent designers. Um, for example, like Zimmerman and Ula Johnson that have more of a romantic feel as opposed to a more utilitarian workwear or athletic athleisure, excuse me, or, you know, the basics market. And I was noticing that there wasn't anything out there like that, that I really saw at the time that catered specifically to petite women. Um, So Mm -hmm. that was essentially the genesis for my idea in terms of, I wanted to create um, like a consumer focused product based brand. I saw a white space in this market, it was a problem I had. And then 
when I did start researching it, I realized that there's so many other women who are short and have a lot of trouble finding clothes that they actually like that led me to continue on um, with building this brand. And it's been a slow process because I've been building it alongside just working my day job as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd like to kind of dive in some of the, like, what were some of the struggles as being a petite woman that you've experienced, other than just the fact that there aren't as many options that cater to, you know, shorter women? Sure. Well, firstly, when I did find something I really liked, I would usually have to get it tailored, which would add on to the cost of the item. Mm-hmm. I find that good tailoring is very expensive. And then secondly, sometimes I would find that an item really couldn't even be tailored at all effectively without essentially remaking the entire garment. For example, I like to wear dresses a lot. And sometimes the waistline of the bodice would just sit in the wrong spot, or there would be details around that area that essentially, if it were tailored, it would ruin the look of the item. And it it just wouldn't really make sense to do. Um, So that was one of the main issues that I saw, uh, aside from just not really being able to find clothes that fit. And then also, I just noticed there's also been, although this is changing now, because I see a lot of other petite brands coming to market as well, there aren't a lot of um, higher quality options I see for petite women a lot of like the trendier or more stylish items aside from basics and workwear, in my opinion, a lot of times they're from fast fashion brands. And I wanted to create something, um, you know, a bit more high quality and also with the considerations of, you know, creating things in small quantities, using ethical practices, paying attention to the materials that are used I just wasn't seeing anything really out there like that at the time. Mm-hmm. And I can totally relate to all that. And like tailoring can some, you know, oftentimes, especially at depending on the price point that you get the item can be more expensive than buying the item itself to get it done well. And then, like you said, there are some pieces where it's just not possible to really get the fit that you want you know, without cutting it kind of from scratch to fit a shorter frame. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned kind of you did some research too, then after you, you kind of set on this market and this, this problem to solve with your consumer focused brand. Um, What did that, like, what things were you researching? And how did you go about that? So I, as someone who works in the legal profession, I like Mm -hmm. to do a lot of research to begin with. So I approached it in multiple ways. Firstly, I started talking to any petite women I knew, either friends, acquaintances, family members, and I talked to them about what exactly they struggled with when they were shopping. And then I also did a holistic view of what is out there in terms of 
brands serving the petite market at the time. This was around late 2019 or early 2020. So I essentially took a look at all brands, whether they were, you know, brands like, for example, Banana Republic or Ann Taylor that have um, a regular size line and then also a smaller capsule collection for petite women, as well as looking at what petite only brands were at out there at the time. There really mm-hmm. weren't many. A lot of them weren't based in the US. I saw a few in the UK. So I looked at those companies. I looked at what they offered. I looked at what their price points were. I also looked at kind of adjacent competitors as well. For example, certain companies that offer made-to-order services. Uh, for example, there's one called Ishkati, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I don't know if they still exist. And then another one I can't remember the name of. And then I did a little bit of just general market research by going to the New York Public Library and talking with their um like the business library research team. And I had them pull a bunch of demographic information for me at the time. Uh, I did all of this and it was helpful. Initially, I had planned to do a full-scale business plan, but I kind of abandoned that idea because it didn't really seem that necessary and it would have taken a ton of time. But mm-hmm. um, it was kind of doing, going through this exercise was a good approach in terms of finding out what's already there and what's lacking. And then uh, it kind of confirmed that my idea for my particular brand, there wasn't really anyone doing something similar at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, and obviously it also confirmed that actually the problem I'm experiencing is a problem. A lot of other women experienced too. It wasn't, you know, just like I'm solving my own problem, but it's, you know, not something that a lot of other people are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so interesting. So I do want to ask a little more about you, you said, like, you originally thought you were going to do this full business plan, but then abandoned the idea because it you didn't feel like that would really serve what you like, you got what you needed to out of the research at that point. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And the reason being, I feel like a lot of um, designers or entrepreneurs kind of starting out, they, they're like, I need to make a business plan. And they get like hung up on that. And then there's that other school of thought that's just like, forget the business plan, just start something um, and tweak it from there. So it sounds like you were a little bit on both camps where you started out one way and then shifted. So um, why, why was that? Like, what made you start going down the path of full business plan and then change your mind? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm someone who generally likes to approach things in a very methodical manner and, you know, do everything the quote unquote right way, which the more I go through this and I'm in the thick of building a brand, I don't really think there is a right way. So (laughs) that was one part of it. Another part of it was that I thought it would help clarify my thoughts on what I wanted to do. 
and would serve as just one repository of all the research and information I collected, as well as, um, you know, kind of a a step-by-step plan on how I wanted to build the brand. And to some extent, that was helpful, especially with all the initial consumer and market research. However, ultimately, I abandoned this idea because, or the idea to put together a full-scale business plan because I, at the time I wasn't, and I'm still not, you know, seeking any external investors. And I feel like a very formal full scale business plan is really very useful if you're approaching external investors or if you're seeking a small business loan, which at the time and currently, um, you know, I'm not, I'm just bootstrapping this with all of my own funds and, you know, income I uh, generate from my day job. So mm-hmm. I felt that ultimately developing this full scale, very formal business plan wasn't really a good, going to be a good use of my time. And it probably made some se- more sense now that I had at least basic research and a basic orientation to what I was doing to just, you know, start move fo- moving forward with building the brand, you know, getting the logo started, actually like sketching, researching people who could help me actually make the clothing. I felt that, you know, my time just what wasn't going to be used effectively developing the this full scale business plan for, for what I needed at the time. That makes a lot of sense. And I I agree with you where it's like, if you're going to go the route of getting investment or, you know, loans from a bank, kind of more traditional raising capital that way, a business plan is more useful, but the, the customer research is, is really the key element. You know, if you are bootstrapping or crowdfunding or raising money another way, um, and you did that part, and you know got what you needed to from that aspect and then it sounds like moved on to kind of next steps in the business right Um, so what were some of the next things you did you mentioned kind of a logo and sketching but were those kind of next on your timeline of developing this brand yeah i would say that next was developing kind of the aesthetic vision for their brand overall And during that time period, I did a lot of mood boarding, I did a lot of sketching, and I also worked with um, a graphic design and branding firm to help um, make a logo that reflected the, the brand aesthetic I was going for, and also provide me some initial guidance on how to approach social media in terms of getting that brand aesthetic out there because I wanted to start social media early since it does take a long time to build and I didn't want to launch a brand into a complete abyss. So I wanted to start on that early and sort of at the same time, I was also researching various approaches to get the actual products made. I was exploring potentially working with a bunch of different freelancers, for example, a freelance technical designer and someone who could help me get tech pack together, freelance pattern makers. I started looking into sourcing fabric a bit, 
um, just kind of exploring the various channels in which I could approach actually getting a, a product made. This was kind of all happening around the same time as the, the branding aspects and getting the logo formulated and starting social media. Yeah, that's super smart that you started the social media early. Um, I think you said like you didn't want to launch into an abyss and that's what ends up happening so often when designers like get caught up in creating the product and forget to like create the audience or the like Mm -hmm. find the customers for the brand and then it's like they have the product ready but like nobody's ready to buy Um, and I know I've been following you on social media for it's probably been a couple years so like well prior to your launch and you did a great job of, of like sharing about the brand, sharing, you know, about the aesthetic and what you were wanting to do um, in the petite, you know, women's clothing space. Um, so that's a really smart way to go about it. To um, Have you seen kind of the, the payoff or the results from those efforts? Um, so I would say that it's been very slow in terms of I've gotten a lot of positive initial feedback and people who are interested, I think, but I think converting from people who are interested in your brand story and your Instagram and social media presence to people who are ready to buy and um, I guess to take a step back, I'm finding that converting the social media following to actual sales is very challenging. I think you need to be in contact with your potential customer base in many times in a variety of settings. And that just takes a lot of time to build. And while you may have some groundwork built, you may not get a lot of traction from, you know, day one. I think it's going to be a work in progress. And I may be jumping ahead a bit to that end. I'm working on potential or building some in-person shopping experiences into my e-commerce strategy and social media strategy as well. Oh, that's so exciting. And I I do want to ask more about that, but let's maybe like get through, talk a little bit more of your pieces and and your launch. And then, yeah, I'd love to hear more about kind of what your plans are next for the brand. Absolutely. Um, so first, um, what are, I know like you, you spent a lot of time, um, you know, on the research, on the brand, developing the aesthetic. Um, what are some of the, the, I guess, words or, or aesthetic, like how would you describe the aesthetic? And then what are kind of the values or things that are important to the brand? Um, outside of, you know, fitting short women? Right. Yeah, those are those are great questions. So I'd say in terms of the aesthetic for the brand, it's very feminine, romantic, but also modern. And I always want to incorporate um, an element of the unexpected into my designs. And for example, with my first two pieces, I spent a lot of time on the lightened dress, which is the longer dress with the long sleeves and the open back, constructing 
ideas around how to make the piece interesting. And what I ultimately settled on in that piece was more voluminous structured sleeves and then the intricate open back with um, the strap system where it Mm -hmm. crosses. So I thought that was really fun. And it took what could be a relatively like basic piece and made it more interesting. And that's kind of what I seek to do with with all of um, the clothes that I create, um, both for this collection and any subsequent collections. And then with the other piece, I um, incorporated, you know, kind of lingerie and boudoir inspired elements in the bodice um, and also used just very feminine soft colors for, for actually both of them. So I'm very inspired again by, um, for example, the brand Zimmerman and Ula Johnson, how they create clothes that are modern, but also very feminine and have a bit of like romanticism and whimsy in them. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I also really always want to be using high quality fabrics and also fabrics derived from the natural fibers to the extent that um, that is possible. So those are very important to me in terms of, you know, the details around the garments I'm trying to create and want to create for the brand. And then to your question about brand pillars, kind of going to those points, the first is self-expression and fashion forwardness. I want to create pieces that petite women will actually be um, excited to wear, excuse me. and then. The second is perfecting fit. I definitely want, you know, all our clothes to fit petite women really well. And for the two dresses we created for the launch, I worked with a petite model who is 5'1". The reason I did that is because a lot of the initial consumer and market research I did, a lot of interest came from women at the shorter end of this petite size spectrum. So I'd say like five, two and under was most of the interest, at least, you know, from the relatively like small sample size that I collected information with. So I wanted to make sure that clothing fit that customer base really well within the petite market. Um, Because I don't know if you've experienced this, but since I'm by one, I notice sometimes petite clothing are long are long on me from certain, you know, bigger, more established brands. Um, Mm -hmm. And then lastly, I, one of the brand pillars that's really important to me is just incorporating the idea of thoughtfulness into everything that I do and I create for the brand um, down to, you know, the designs, how it fits what fabrics are being used, how much to produce, where it's being produced. I just really want to be thoughtful about every decision. And one big thing that I'd like to do is basically iterate from customer feedback each time I make a new collection and really take in feedback on what works and what doesn't so I could you know, better create clothes that people are actually going to want to wear and buy at the end of the day. So cool. And yeah, I can definitely see the like 
romantic details and the thoughtfulness that um, went into your two initial dresses. And yeah, that open back, I saw that and was like, oh, that is not easy to <laughs> to fit and get right. Um, so that <laughs> you definitely put um, the time and effort into getting that fit and really like the front of the dress for, for listeners who haven't seen it is, is fairly simple, but like has unique buttons, um, button front, but then the back is open with this like woven, almost like crisscross strapping. Um, and I, you know, it's like that surprise element you turn around you're like, oh, wow. Like there's the showstopper on the back. Yeah, definitely. And to your point, it, it was very difficult to execute during the sampling process. And as an aside, I worked with a consulting firm that specifically helps emerging designers who don't necessarily have an industry background bring their products to market. We spent a lot of time during the sampling and fitting sessions playing around with that crisscross back and getting it right. Mm -hmm. I bet. That's one of those things where it's, you almost have to, yeah, play around with it on the body of your fit model instead of you know, flat patterning that one. I mean, you can get close, but like tweaking it and just getting the placement of the straps and the length of the straps just right on the body um, is kind of the easiest way to do it. Yeah, definitely. During the first fitting session, which of course, you know, that's really just a first draft and you're so far away, or at least we were from what the garment actually ends up being is we, we just cut it up on the fit model and reframed mm -hmm. everything to make, to get, get closer to where we wanted to be in that first session. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was that scary at first? Cause I know sometimes like I, I'm used to doing that you're working in the industry, but I know if you're, if you don't have a background in fashion, you go into a fitting and it's like, let's just cut into the garment and pin it, you know, how it needs to be. It's, it's like, don't, don't cut it. But sometimes that's the best way to, to get there fastest. Yeah. It's funny. So, so that didn't make me nervous, but I do have a perfectionist streak in me. So it was a little hard at first to really keep the idea in my head that the first fitting and the first sample was just that it's like a very rough first draft. Mm -hmm. I was experiencing so much self-doubt and thinking, oh my God, this is turning out horribly. But then I just had to reorient myself and just take a deep breath and remind myself that this was just a first draft like anything else. For example, mm -hmm. a first draft of a memo I write or a paper in school, you know, you refine it from there. So that was the hardest part for me when seeing the first samples and getting everything right. That makes sense. Yeah, it is a lot. It is the first draft. And um, so how many do you remember, like how many samples of each dress you ended up going through before getting it like just how you wanted it? We did three rounds of sampling and I'd say by the last time it was really close. It was like pretty much all the way there. There were just some minor tweaks, I guess, to give a bit more of a behind the scenes 
the the longer dress with the sleeves initially had pockets, but they didn't really end up working with the fabrics, um, which that dress is a lighter weight linen cotton blend. You could kind of see the pockets through the dresses. It looked very distracting. And pockets are a detail I really like. And I know customers generally like in dresses because it's functional. And also it does have that element of surprise as well. And Mm -hmm. I kept going back and forth of like, keep keep them or take them out. And toward the, I think the last fitting, I just said, you know, take the pockets off. I really love them, but they're not working. Um, But I'd say all the other details were pretty much there by the third round. Yeah, yeah, and that's pretty standard. Like usually when I'm working with clients, it's two or three fittings um, to to really refine it and get it all the way to where it needs to go. Yeah. Nice. Um, so how, what was kind of the, your creative process for designing these first two pieces? Like, how did you decide on these two pieces specifically for your first collection? Yeah, that's a great question. I did have a bunch of, um, sketches that I was choosing from. And the hardest thing for me for the first um, launch, since I was keeping it so small with just the two styles and two colors each, was trying to make things cohesive with with such a small um, number of items, and also creating items that were, you know, two distinct different things. So it wasn't just you know a variation on the same style. Mm-hmm. Um, So ultimately, I thought these kind of both had the romantic and feminine design details, although they were both very different pieces. And they were my favorite. At the end of the day, they were the sketches that I kept coming back to. And then to further make it cohesive with such a small number of items, I did that by going back to my mood board and essentially pulling colors from the mood board that I thought went really well together and then selecting the fabrics from there. And then I guess my very initial design process was I just looked through a bunch of different, you know, clothing items that I like that I have in my closet and in magazines as well or in art pieces and kind of picked out what details do I like and how can I make them work on a garment that I want to create. Like I love voluminous sleeves. I like the open back details on dresses or cutouts or interesting little unique things like that. Mm -hmm. So it was just a lot. The very first steps were even before sketching was just a lot of mood boarding and cutting out photos from magazines and you know, pasting them together, putting together Pinterest boards and just a lot of initial research like that. That makes sense. Awesome. It sounds like you really um, thought through these intricate pieces and and picked the details that, yeah, a collection of two is difficult, but I can see 
kind of like the strapping details on both and some of the seaming on both that where they're very distinct, but they still have that same like romantic feminine look to them. Yeah. And then I guess lastly, just to add on to that, I thought about just, you know, what what do I like and want, but really can't find mm. made for a petite person like I've just never you know really seen it before made for a petite person so that was also a consideration as well yeah that's super smart um so how long did it take from kind of like your initial design stage to when the pieces were ready to launch so that's another really great question I'm just thinking about it right mm-hmm. now so and I know you said you're working on it in addition to your full-time job so it's like that I'm sure adds a little bit more time when you aren't able to like spend all day every day on the brand right exactly so I would say in earnest since the beginning of 2021 and that was the start of me mood boarding, sketching the designs, refining sketches, honestly, just sitting on things and thinking about it for a while. And also in tandem doing the research on what my actual tactical approach to get the garments made would be. During that time, I was also researching a lot of consulting firms similar to the one I actually eventually worked with and just talking to different people as well to kind of figure out, you know, how I wanted to do this. And also I did start sourcing fabric on my own as well, which was a good experience in in that I learned a lot. But at the end of the day, since I didn't have prior industry experience, I was afraid of making the wrong fabric choice in terms of, you know, would the fabric itself and its composition actually work with the designs that Mm. I wanted to create? I wanted a little more guidance. And I also felt that the decision of going with a few different freelancers to help me with each phase of the process versus going with a more full service consulting firm was a big decision. So I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And ultimately I decided to go with the full service consulting firm because I thought that would probably be the most efficient way to get my uh, products made, especially since I was working a full-time job. And like you said, I wouldn't necessarily be able to devote all day, every day to um, working on it. The consulting firm kept me very close to the process and it was like I was learning alongside of them, but they also were able to help me with a lot of like nitty gritty um uh, details and work. For example, when it was time to produce the garments, reaching out to all of the different vendors with my purchase orders and making sure everything got to the factory correctly and things of that nature, which probably would have been very difficult for me to do while also working a full-time job. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, like in the unique situation that I'm in, I thought it was the best balance of being able to learn, but also getting a pretty substantive amount of help to bring bring this to being. Yeah, it sounds like that's really the uh, a good fit, like you said, for where you are. And, um, you know, every every brand or every founder is kind of in a different position of what they want to learn, what they'd rather just have somebody help them out with, what their time commitments are and, you know, mm-hmm. timeline for when they launch. Um, yeah, so when you're reaching out to different agencies or different um, freelancers um, and, and even sourcing, like, where were you finding these places and what was kind of your experience jumping into the fashion world and and finding like who's good to work with and who would be a good fit for what you were looking for? Yeah, that that's a really great question. So in terms of finding um, the, the consulting firms, I actually used the um, CFDA's directory. They have a service mm-hmm. provider directory. And I basically went through and I looked at which which ones were make women's wear, which ones are willing to take on emerging or independent independent designers. Um, and I kind of just went through that list, Googled them to the extent it was possible, called some of them. A lot of them give, you know, an introductory like 20 minute call to get to know them. I did that. Um, that was kind of for the consulting um firm piece of it mm-hmm. and then in terms of finding um the fabric vendors I actually had a few just general kind of initial consulting I guess more coaching sessions with with one consulting firm who I ultimately decided not to go with um they seemed great it's just I felt like I needed something that would provide a little more um hand-holding um then then they would have been able to with the services that they offer but I um had some coaching sessions with them and part of it was they helped provide you with a list of uh, fabric vendors so from there I just you know reached out to them cold uh some of them were in New York so I was able to actually go there and look with look at fabrics and meet with some of them um, I also researched on Instagram and used as many free and open source resources that I can as well could as well. Well, yeah, and the CFDA website is a great um, resource, especially I think they have a lot of New York based companies, especially. Yeah, definitely. It's great if you're in New York. Um, I did also talk to a few companies in Los Angeles because I know they have a pretty robust, um, like apparel um, Mm -hmm. production and industry. Yes, that's the word I was looking for. Um, And I, I talked to a few great firms out there, but ultimately I felt it was just easiest to work with someone in New York. Gotcha. So um, in terms of your timeline, like you said, you kind of started in earnest the beginning of 2021. And then 
you launched this year, correct? In 2023? Yes, exactly. And during 2021, I'd say it was a lot more researching and figuring out, trying to do a few things on my own, like the fabric sourcing, talking to different consulting firms. And then at the very beginning of 2022, I had a a narrowed down list of firms that I potentially wanted to work with. I had decided that I wanted to go that route as opposed to a freelancer, more do-it-yourself kind of approach. And I spoke with each of them one more time. And then by early March 2022, I had engaged the consulting firm I did end up working with. And we started the process then. And, you know, we went through an initial meeting where I went through all my ideas, started fabric sourcing, their design team put together all the technical sketches and started formulating the tech pack. They took me through the sampling process. And that essentially took from March of 2022 until I had a product in hand at the very beginning of June of this year. So quite a long process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that included though production, right? Not just yes, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it sounds about about what I would expect for a first collection. Um, but yeah, it's not like a quick process. I, I think some sometimes from, from outside the industry, it's like, oh, fashion brands are doing, you know, two, three, four or more collections a year. So it must only take, you know, six months, three months, you know, to, to, to do each one. But it's like, no, they're, they're kind of rolling. Like when production on one is happening, the design for the next one is happening, the development for the one between those is happening. And it's, it's still, uh, you know, over a year process from start to finish. And so like collections are normally being worked on concurrently at different stages during that time. Right. Exactly. It's such a a long process. I kind of had an idea that it took a a while, but I didn't think I fully appreciated the extent of it until I started actually doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then also, it's an industry where you're so reliant on so many different people and different pieces to actually make your vision come to life and bring your product to market there is just naturally like things that go wrong or get delayed. Luckily, I had a very smooth experience. I would say overall, there were a few hiccups here and there. Um, But I don't think people who've never done, who haven't been involved in this process realize, you know, it, it takes long at baseline to bring something to market. But then the fact that you're working with so many different people and there's little hiccups that delay you along the way that just adds on to the timeline as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I always um, add extra time into the development process, like assuming something's going to happen. Like I've even had like, oh no, there's a snowstorm, like 
on the East Coast, and that's where our fabric mill is. So the fabric is delayed, you know, a few days getting on the truck to ship to us and, you know, like things like that. It's like, there's no way you can plan for that other than to plan extra time, assuming something like that is going to happen. Right, exactly. Cool. Um, So how did you kind of balance working full time and working on this brand? Yeah, so I think the fact that I was working with this consulting firm was invaluable and really enabled me to do both at the same time. I really don't think looking back now, I don't think it would have been possible to work my full time job and also do this uh, on my own as well at all. So having them was super, super helpful. And then I'll just be honest to anyone who may want to do this as well. I spend a lot of my weekends working and uh, after work working on Pro Hockey Viche. I say no to a lot of social events. So it it does take a lot of sacrifice. I would say the combination of having help where you could help it Uh, where you could do that because of course there's always also the balance I would say of of just like time and money in terms of you know if you have less money you might have to do more yourself and vice versa as well as just you know making sacrifices and really focusing on where you need to spend your time and what's important to you and then I will say I'm just working at a slower pace than, you know, someone um, who might be doing a brand for their full-time job and that's the only thing they're doing. And I've kind of had have, have had to accept that perhaps, you know, my brand will grow and I'll make, grow at a slower pace and I'll make slower progress. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of all a balance of what you're, you know, looking for and what you're, you know, seeking to do. Um, At the moment, I think I'll continue operating this way. I don't have any, um, any plans to quit my day job anytime soon. Um, But yeah, it's just all a balance. Yeah, every everybody's path, like with their business and um, the success that they see and when or if they, you know, quit their day job to work on their brand, it's it's different. And everybody's kind of version of success, I think, should be different too. You know, no, no two people are the same or want the same things. And the path then to get there is different for everybody as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with that. And then I guess one thing that I'll note that is somewhat related just I think you know if I tried to do this all my all by myself I probably would have spent just as much money making mistakes as I Mm -hmm. did spending it on the consulting firm to help me so that's also a consideration for someone who is seeking to build a product-based business but doesn't necessarily have the prior industry background similar to me mm-hmm. yeah that's a great point that sometimes it yeah it seems expensive the investment up front but you're saving yourself from headaches 
that, you know, over time would cost us, you know, just as much. Right. Potentially redoing things, repurchasing fabric, Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you work with, and obviously this could happen with anything, working with, I don't know, a freelancer that for whatever reason, it doesn't work out, but there's so many variables. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so I do want to get back to um, talking about, so you've, you've launched the brand now, um, you have your e-commerce site and social media. I know you've been working with for a while, but you mentioned wanting to try some new ideas, including, I think you mentioned a physical kind of like retail space. Is that right? Um, yes, nothing permanent um, at the moment, but I'd like to do some pop-up events. I am actually in two weeks selling at a fair in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where I live. It's called Artists and Fleas. It's a marketplace for different types of creators, but there's a lot of clothing brands, local clothing brands that end up participating. I think they have these markets in Los Angeles and Atlanta as well, and maybe a few other cities within the United States. So I want to test out just doing some pop-ups selling in person, I would love to actually meet people in person and be able to talk to them face to face, you know, about, you know, what they're looking for, and, you know, what they like or don't like about the items that I've launched with. So um, it's, that's going to be my first foray into any in person or physical selling um, in the near future. But I'd like to experiment with with that approach as well it's so exciting and I'm sure it'll be like super valuable to like you did kind of the the research when you started but this is like on the like boots on the ground research with the customer right there and um I bet that'll be a really fun experience yeah I'm really looking forward to it and I think you know, real life experience and actually interacting with people is, is, you know, the research never replaces that. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure it will be interesting to hear uh, feedback in real life. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, So what kind of what what else is next for the brand? Do you have plans for future collections or um, or you just launched in June, right, with the first collection? Yeah, really, um, mid, I'd say mid-June, I, okay. I launched. I had the items early June. By the time I kind of got everything set, I launched a couple of weeks ago at this point. So it's very, very new. Well, congrats on that. I'm sure that's super exciting to like see these years of planning come to fruition. Thank you. Yes, it is really exciting to actually see it. Uh, come to life after you know working on it for so long Um, Mm -hmm. so I would say my immediate next steps are to kind of see how things go I'd like to continue to build my social media presence experiment with these pop-up events the first of which being in a couple of weeks and seeing how that goes I have ideas for future collections but nothing set in stone at this um at this point mm-hmm. I would say I I'm more of a risk averse person uh, so well. <laughs> uh, 
so I'm I'm not quite ready to start, you know, working on and developing a new collection. I want to see how this goes and also have some initial feedback and kind of move from there. I haven't planned this out yet, but what I'm thinking of doing for a next quote unquote collection is of these two dresses, if there's one that people like more than another, or maybe they like both of them, I may do another drop in a different color palette or maybe different fabrics. So I could kind of leverage the development work I've already done and and use it to create something new. And obviously that will reduce my costs a bit. So I'm thinking of ways I could leverage work I already have done to create new collections and keep things interesting. But these Mm -hmm. are just ideas at this point. I'm kind of in growing social media, getting the word out and seeing how things go with this first collection at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good place to to be in after just launching a collection to kind of be in feedback and listening mode and and mm-hmm. building awareness mode. Cuz it's it's super helpful. I know with the brands that I've worked with for, you know, multiple collections in a row, some of them, you know, years worth of collections, um sequentially hearing the feedback from the previous collections is super helpful in designing and really tweaking and perfecting um, and getting better and better with each new collection. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said that better myself. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, I'm curious, like, with your background in legal, and I think you mentioned in the finance space as well, how has has that at all, I guess, um, helped you as you've run this brand and what kind of, in what areas has it been like completely different that you, you've had to, you know, learn all new things? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. I'd say all of the subject matter expertise that specifically pertains to the fashion industry, I, I pretty much had to learn and do a lot of research on. I would say that my legal background and background working in the financial services industry has been apparent in more subtle ways, I would say. Um, I thought it was helpful when I was forming the actual corporate entity for my business. I was, you know, familiar with the different types of um formations you could go with like an LLC versus a C Corp. I was familiar Mm -hmm. with like the general steps you could take uh, to create them. And I actually was just able to do that myself. Um, Mm -hmm. I also thought just like having certain like professional skills that you learn from working in the environment I've been in for the last 10 years of And some of these sound so silly, but how to reach out to someone in a professional, professional manner, um, you know, how to negotiate um, with vendors and other service providers. When I began to work with the consulting firm, 
I reviewed the contract myself with them and was able to provide feedback in certain areas where I thought things needed to be tweaked. Mm -hmm. Um, And also the legal background, I feel like is helpful in, um, I guess, knowing how to ask the right questions and spot potential issues and things that might arise down the line. So I'd say my background was helpful in more general like business um, related tasks as opposed to anything specific to making clothing or the fashion industry itself. But I, I mean, I do think it was helpful. I think about, you know, if I started this when I was just out of college at um, like 22, I would be even more clueless. Um, I also think that just having, you know, the confidence of how to interact with people in a professional way after having work experience for whatever 10 years, I think it's been for me, um, 10, 11 years at this point is, is helpful, but in a more general sense. Yeah, that, mean, that makes so much sense. And yeah, the legal background, you know, helping with the business side when you're running a fashion business, like, yes, half of it is fashion, but the other half is business, right? So yeah, having exactly. kind of the, the leg up in the experience in the business world, um, I bet alleviates a lot of the, you know, the, the unknowns or the anxiety around like, you know, is this contract going to work out in my favor? Like, is it protecting me like I wanted to? Did I, you know, set up my business correctly? Like all those things, having that background, I bet was like really helpful. Yeah, no, I mean, it it definitely was. And then just being, I think, having the background, even if I wasn't like super familiar with the intricacies, I had a general awareness that there were like certain things I had to do. For example, the boring stuff of I had to get, you know, a federal tax ID number, I had Mm -hmm. to um, you know, get a certificate that would authorize me to collect sales tax in New York when I eventually did start selling. Just just things of that nature, which, you know, and I don't, if you don't know, you don't know. Um, mm-hmm. And if you've never been like exposed to kind of that world in any sense, you may not even know that these requirements exist. Yeah, so true. Well, that's awesome. That's like, even though it's like a, a shift of industry for you and starting a fashion brand that you were still able to draw on the experience you have in your day job and in you know your professional setting um, to help even with your entrepreneurial um, journey. So yeah, uh, I, I think there's probably something, you know, no matter what industry someone comes from, if they're starting something new, there's probably something, some skill they could pull from that prior experience that will help them with the new, although it might not be, you know, obvious at the outset. I agree. Yeah. And that's why I always like to ask that question because sometimes, like I talk to a lot of guests on the podcast here and even a good number of my clients have their background or their career background is not in the fashion industry. Um, But with each area, you know, it allows you to bring kind of this new perspective and there are plenty of things that cross over and help 
you know, make you a better business owner, better designer, you know, whatever it is, um, that can help, even though it's, yeah, like you said, maybe not immediately obvious. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Well, I have one more question that I ask everyone at the end of the interview, which is if you could communicate one value to the world through the clothes you design, what would it be? That's a really great question. I think through Pro Hoc Vice, I want to communicate the idea that reflecting one's personal style through clothing and their personality through clothing is really important and a worthwhile experience to have. And so often petite women get overlooked by the fashion industry. And I'd like to communicate that they are also you know, included in the experience of being able to participate in fashion and express yourself through clothing and have fun with it and actually enjoy what you're wearing and feel good and look good at the same time. I love it. Such a great answer. (laughs) Yeah. Fashion is, is, you can use it so much for yeah, expressing your style, expressing your personality. And and I feel like clothes that fit well are expressing like this is me as a person and like in even the, the shape of my body or the height of my body in this case, you know, um, this is who I am and, and finding clothes that really bring out the best in who we are is, is really fun. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> cool. Well, this has been such a fun conversation, Jenna. Thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people find out more about Prohog Fiche online and see the pieces? Sure. And firstly, thank you so much for having me. This has been great. I really enjoyed our conversation. I can be found online on Instagram. My handle is at shopprohogviche. And then also online via our website, which is also shopprohockbeachay.com. Wonderful. I'll put all that in the show notes for people to click through those links. And yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. Perfect. Thank you so much again, Allison. Yeah. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you would like more episodes and resources like this about growing a fashion business that fits your customer, lifestyle, and values, send straight to your inbox. You can sign up for my email list at alisonhanis.com newsletter. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-H-O-E-N-E-S dot com slash newsletter. Again, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of How Fitting.